How's it going? Nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, that's actually an important concept. Yeah, it is. Um, Rocky, please introduce yourself and give us some background about your political career. Can wait till he's set up or no? Uh, I'm Rocky Anderson. I practiced law for 21 years in Salt Lake City. I did a lot of plaintiff's work in the area of antitrust, securities fraud, professional malpractice, and a lot of civil rights work. Uh, it seems that most of my practice was representing people who had suffered injury as a result of the abuse of power, either corporate power or governmental power. And it was a fantastic thing to me to be able to walk into the courtroom representing people who didn't have a lot of power, or really any power on the outside, against people who had tremendous power on the outside, but when they all walked into the courtroom, Lady Justice's scales were balanced. She was blind to the differences between them on the outside. And those who abused their power, violated the law, were held to account. And that is so central to our government, to our way of life, and yet it seems to have been completely disregarded during the Bush and Obama years in very dangerous ways. So. I practiced law for 21 years, very proud to be part of our legal system. Uh, I ran for Congress in 1996, I was a Democratic candidate, lost that race primarily because I was advocating marriage equality and in 1996 it was very early for that, that was not a mainstream view by any means. Uh, which now, thank goodness, it is far more mainstream. I think we've made so much tremendous progress. Then I went back to my law practice for a couple of years and then ran for mayor uh, of Salt Lake City in 1999. I won that race and then I was reelected for a second four-year term. Uh, after I, I decided to leave after two terms. I didn't run for a third term and instead founded and served as executive director of a nonprofit organization, High Road for Human Rights, which was all about education and advocacy at the grassroots level, organizing people to push our government to do a far better job in the area of human rights. Uh, but I became so distressed at where our, I saw our nation headed in the area of human and civil rights, uh, and then kowtowing to the Wall Street criminals, to the Wall Street financial institutions that have had their way with our government, both Republicans and Democrats, and decided it was time to form a new political party. And I also decided I would run for president, not because I thought there was a tremendous chance of winning the election, but rather because I thought this was a good opportunity to launch a broad-based democracy movement in this country. And I see it happening, just as we had a civil rights movement, a labor movement, a women's suffrage movement. I think that we are at the point where people of all different political persuasions can come together on the essentials. 
and we have to do it or we're going to see a, a continuation of the demise of our republic. Is that why you came to the RNC? Because you think this is that point in our history that we can maybe launch broad-based democracy? Yeah, I came to the RNC because although I was planning to go back to Utah after a trip to Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York, uh, I was furious when I saw that the Republican Party was trying to knock off all these third parties in Pennsylvania. And that doesn't include the Justice Party because we didn't even attempt to get on the ballot in Pennsylvania. It's so difficult. But those who did, who went out and collected tens of thousands of signatures, now are being threatened with a tremendous financial hit under Pennsylvania law because if they lose the challenge brought by the Republican Party, it could result in a judgment of $100,000 or more. Uh, Ralph Nader got hit when Democrats challenged him with a judgment of $81,000 and they actually executed against his personal bank account and his running mate, Peter Cameo, it made his life so miserable, he wrote out a personal check for $20,000 to get them out of his hair. Nobody should have to do that to get on the ballot and in the end, it deprives the voters of the choice that they have. I mean, they don't have to vote for these people, but they certainly deserve to have the choice. And we talk a lot about voter suppression nowadays. There's no greater, more fundamental voter suppression than blocking people from getting on the ballot, blocking third-party efforts. So this, these two parties, this duopoly, and it is truly a duopoly, duopoly meaning two parties having what would be a monopoly if it was just one of them, but full control, full say on what's going on. And that's what it's become. That's how degraded and debased our democracy has become in this country. So when I read about that in Pennsylvania, uh, and it's ironic that this was the home of the Constitutional Convention, uh, I decided I'm going to go down to Tampa and I'm going to raise all the hell I can, try to bring this to the attention of the American people. And that, that was actually a question I wanted to ask you. Why is it most important to offer choices uh, outside the two-party duopoly? Well, that's what democracy is all about. The American people ought to be able to vote for who they want in office and who's going to represent them. Right now, the Republican and Democratic duopoly, they're both feeding at the same trough of special interest money. They both represent only those who pay their way. They're not representing the public interest. This is no longer government off by and for the people. This is government that is controlled by those who have the money. And that has got to change. Speaking of... Speaking of changes, uh, th there's... That was mall security. That's the problem. <laughs> the, the mallization of America is they can do whatever they want to those who come in. Malls are all about control, and they're destroying the public sphere. People need to be so aware of this. You can't come on malls, onto malls, and hand out your leaflets. You can't get up on a soapbox. Yeah. You can't approach people to talk about politics, get them to sign petitions. 
and more and more our cities are becoming just like this, where security, like this man that just walked up to interrupt us, they can do whatever they want. He can throw, I saw them throw a guy out of here. He wasn't causing any problem at all. Yelling at him, you're not allowed in here. Right, right. So sorry to get off point, oh, no but it's problem. all no. sort of part and parcel no, of yeah. how the corporatization of this country and our government is undermining personal liberty. Yeah, I call it, I actually call that Mick culture in terms of McDonald's, the micking, you know, the MC corporatization, commercialization of many aspects of our culture. And to a great extent, the same is true for politics. Our politics are like Mick politics. They're not real politics, which <clears throat> kind of leads me to the idea of the red pill and blue pill um, concept from the Matrix, the red pill. Uh, being painful truth of reality and the blue pill being blissful ignorance of illusion. Um, so in terms of, of your platform, uh, Rocky, do you think you can be the red pill, that painful truth of reality that Americans need to realize That's, and understand? That is why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I took my life entirely off course. That's why my tax return this year will show zero income. And I don't have a lot of money. I mean, this this is any retirement savings that I had. But that's why so many people around the country are working so hard for this cause. We need to get more people stepping up. You don't you don't need to sacrifice everything along the way, but we need to get people off of their couches, turn off the television. You talk about blissful ignorance. Yeah. This is a culture of celebrity. This is a culture yeah. of diversion. You know, it's no longer religion being the only opiate of the people. We've got sports, we've got entertainment. We have young people tied into media for entertainment purposes on average, seven and a half hours a day. So we fought so that young people, 18 year olds, could have the vote, and now we have so many young people saying, oh, the system's broken and it's all bought off. What do I care? The cynical view that they may think is cool, but it's because young people that didn't get out and vote during the midterm elections that we have the Congress that we have now. Uh, and I don't blame this just on young people. I, I, believe, it, I, I believe it's across the board now that we don't see people in the streets. Once in a while you'll have a demonstration. Yeah, there's no culture you'll, protest. You'll, you'll have the Occupy movement for a while in the tents and basically spending most of their time on survival rather than political organizing. But, you know, I admire anybody that will get out because of what they believe in. But it's up to us. We are the leaders and the question is are we going to step up to that responsibility and grand opportunity for leadership, or are we just going to sleep through it all, be anesthetized by all the celebrity culture and all the other garbage that ends up taking so many hours of people's lives, or are we going to commit ourselves to organizing and mobilizing and making a difference, setting this country back on its appropriate, proper course? And when I say appropriate and proper, that's not just by my lights, I'm talking about constitutional values since the beginning of this country. Not a country that engages in indefinite detention of people without any semblance of due process. Targeting even of American citizens for assassination. Going over into other nations, engaging in acts of war without a declaration of war. As the war power clause of the Constitution requires, it's got to come from Congress, not from the President. And then in the process of these drone strikes, killing so many innocent men, women, and children. 
You know, I think about whack-a-mole. You hit <laughs> one mole and another one comes up. Instead, you hit one and a hundred pop up. And then you hit another one and another hundred pop up. We are the greatest recruiting tool Al-Qaeda and the Taliban could ever have. We are so hated and despised around the world. And if people don't have the capacity to put themselves in the shoes of those in other nations, I think that is this blissful ignorance you're talking about. We've got to understand, what would we do if another nation came over and occupied our country and then told us what kind of elections we were to have and who was to be in power and then flew their unmanned drones over and killing our people? Things have got to turn around. It's, we're making the world so much more dangerous. I mean, we fall in line. Look at how obsequious President Obama and Mitt Romney have been before APAC, the American-Israel Political Action Committee, and, and how Mitt Romney said in a debate that, that he wouldn't have said about the Palestinians what one of his opponents in the debate said. Instead, he would call his old friend Bibi Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, and ask him, what should I do? So in terms of all the issues and, and obstacles that America is facing right now, what, what do you think is the most important thing for America to do right now to get back on track? Well, I think it's at least threefold. First of all, the most important issue facing our globe today is taking urgent action on climate change. We have the tiniest window of opportunity to take the right steps, the effective steps to turn this around or we are dooming our children and later generations to absolute devastation. The effects of climate change will have the most devastating impacts to people's human rights. Uh, millions of people, hundreds of millions of people displaced in coastal regions. People dying because of droughts, because of floods because of the lack of water resources. Uh, so that is an absolute. Uh, and we know that neither the Republicans nor the Democrats will provide leadership on climate change. They've proven that. I mean, what, what did President Obama say in his nomination acceptance speech four years ago? He's touting clean coal. There is no such thing, and if we keep burning coal, it doesn't matter what else we do. You know, everybody can go out and buy all the hybrid cars they want, plug in all the, the compact fluorescent light bulbs, and it's not going to make any difference if we don't stop burning coal. Secondly, if we want to preserve our republic, we've got to restrict the powers of the president, and we've got to make sure that our courts assert their role in our constitutional system to provide checks on abuses of executive power and Congress has got to step up. Instead of this cowardly abdication of its constitutional role, it needs to assume its role is contemplated by the founders and is set forth in the Constitution. But they've turned so much over to the president and then we see all these abuses. This, this third term of the Bush administration, essentially, <laughs> under President Obama, has been devastating to our republic. And we need to get it back on track. And then in terms of our foreign relations, uh, 
we, we've got to start dealing with other nations in a way that makes sense, that will we'll provide the basis for friendly relations rather than this hostile relationship that has come about because of our empire building. You know, it's so clear because of, of, of corporate interests, we've been going around the world trying to control everything. In 1952, we went into Iran and overthrew the democratically elected Mossadegh government. The next year, at the behest of United Fruit Company, one corporation, we went up and overthrew the democratically elected Arbenz government in Guatemala and put in place a, a brutal military junta that uh, had, it was devastating the people of Guatemala for generations. This is what we do. And then we wonder why we're so hated why there's so much hostility toward us, why we become less and less secure as a nation around the world. And then, for our own economic security, we have got to rein in Wall Street. We've got to put back in the protections. Republicans and Democrats, you don't hear any of them calling for a restoration of the Glass-Steagall Act, the prohibition on common ownership of commercial banks, investment banks, and insurance companies. Uh, and, and that act was repealed during the Clinton administration yep. at the behest of his Treasury Secretary, who Obama then brings in as his chief yep. economic advisor. How do we expect things to be any different when those who created the conditions for the economic meltdown still to be in power? And we need to break up the banks that are too big to fail. These are measures without which we are still at risk of another major economic disaster. And you see the human consequences in this country. It's unconscionable that that was ever allowed to happen in the first place. And yet our government, Republicans and Democrats, have still failed to take the measures because the financial institutions don't want our government to take the measures that will protect the American people against another economic meltdown. Next question. Uh, in terms of um, some people in America thinking that America is exceptional and kind of a deteriorating empire and moving into the 21st century and trying to still maintain a position of leadership in the world, what's uh, your vision of the future for America? Well, if we keep going the way we are, the American empire is over. We're going to be a second-class nation. Uh, our, we, we're not competitive on a global basis now. We're not investing in education. We're not investing in job training. And other nations are cleaning our clock. China, India, I mean, look at Singapore's test scores compared to our students' test scores. And we're making it more and more difficult for our young people to get a higher education. We ought to be providing a free or at least extremely affordable higher education for everybody. There ought to be equal educational opportunities, just like our forebears made sure that everyone would have a free secondary education. Now our nation and our future depends upon us providing that same kind of right to people to a higher education. Uh, <laughs> jobs, we ought to put in place a WPA-like project, put millions and millions of people to work repairing our nation's rapidly deteriorating infrastructure. 
It worked during the WPA. Do we hear that from either the Republicans or the Democrats? It's like they don't want to create more jobs. What do they do? Starting with President Clinton and these obscene free trade agreements, we've been shipping millions of jobs to other nations. And all these good, hard-working people, people who are bright, who are capable, instead of getting the decent jobs and getting job training, they're flipping burgers, or they're lining up for unemployment. It is absolutely unconscionable that our nation is at this point today with the greatest disparity in wealth and income at any time since the 1920s, before the Depression. And at the same time, we have the next to the worst maternal mortality and infant mortality rates in the industrialized world. We're the only industrialized nation that doesn't provide health care for all of our citizens. We're the only industrialized nation where people take out bankruptcy because of medical bills. And it's not just that some take it out, over 700,000 bankruptcies are filed every year because of medical bills. That only happens in the United States of America. And yet we're paying more than twice for healthcare costs per capita, the average of the rest of the industrialized world and our medical outcomes are worse. There's been a recent, over recent years, there's been a, a surge in popularity with, uh, with a particular third party candidate, namely Ron Paul. Uh, what's the difference between you and Ron Paul? Well, we agree in terms of empire building and the wars and the abuses of the Federal Reserve. Uh, we have differences in terms of the solution. I think uh, going to a gold standard would be insane. Uh, and and uh, But I do think that the Federal Reserve needs to be brought under democratic control. It needs to be under the Treasury Department. But I am very much different than Ron Paul when it comes to government doing good things by the people of this country. Uh, Ron Paul uh, opposes the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I, I don't understand that. To say that, this, that, that for the government to allow racial discrimination in public accommodations is a matter of individual liberty? Well, whose individual liberty? Uh, I, think, I think there's a tinge of racism there, frankly. Uh, he's against the Department of Education. He doesn't like the idea of Social Security, of Medicare. I happen to believe that the most vulnerable in our society ought to have a safety net where we all come together as a community and help provide that. And then in terms of the environment, he doesn't believe in, in the government providing for any environmental protections or providing leadership on climate change. And again, I think that that is the most drastic need globally that we have right now. And if the United States doesn't provide that international leadership, uh, the game is over. And we're dooming later generations to devastation. Last question for you. What are the four most dangerous words in America right now? Four most dangerous words are, there's, Nothing I can do. That's five words. <laughs> and what are the four most important words? Four most important words is we can preserve.
Reserve Republic. Excellent. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. your time, Rocky. Yeah, thank you.